for a spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster, Monster Kid, Kid Radio. Radio. Here your host, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Monster Kid Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodgson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival. Classic Monsters. Modern Talk. And the head of Rondo Hatton, only on Monster, Monster Kid, Kid Radio. Well, hello, hello, and welcome a podcast, but a podcast with a different distinction. It's me, off the cuff, talking about everything that I love artistically. Usually, it will be segregated to literature, novels, books. And films, but not only that. It may be a time where I talk upon cultural things, most specifically within the art medium. Whether it's movie news, book news, culturally, what's going on. It's literally a podcast about a man on his own, staring at the four walls and just thinking, "What am I?" It's not a rot. It's an articulate warbling. Hey everyone, welcome back to Black Clock Audio Tales. I'm your host and editor, producer, D.B. Spitzer. Today we're going to be talking about Beowulf or Anglo-Saxon sonnets or something dealing with uh, Old English. So stay tuned uh, or check the show notes and find out specifically what we're going to be talking about. If you want to keep the show going, help support the show, help uh, help keep it on the air, uh, why not go to pgttcm.podbean.com and become a member of our patrons. Also, look out for upcoming projects. We always have something going on. Become a member of one of our cults, uh, the t-shirt cult, the sticker cult, the... Uh, I don't know. You know, hey... Um, also, you could support us by going to paypal.me slash pgttcm or just telling people about us or supporting us and being our friends on social media, Instagram, Black Clock Audio Tales, uh, People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos, Black Clock Audio Tales on Facebook. I'm on Twitter, but I don't do much with it occasionally. I do stuff, but hey, that's about it. So here we go with some Anglo-Saxon, Old English, talkity stuff. Sonnets 48 to 56 48 Alfred was sent by his father to Rome when he was four years old. He travelled by land through France, across the Alps with a large retinue. In his seventh year, he attended his father again a second time to Italy, and remained a year in Rome. He is said by some chroniclers to have had delicate health, and to have been sent into Ireland when a child, and placed there under the care of a religious lady called Modwenna. Alfred the Great, one, the child. True, he was but a child, but a child's heart is a strange mystery, clear but fathomless, knowing but little of itself, we less. Bright things it holds, but then it hath no art to bring them forth into the world's great mart. So, like the pearls of ocean there they dwell, 
glistening in beauty in a closed shell, and painted there and never to depart are nature's scenes that daily, silently, she places deeper in the inmost heart, and like sun pictures that we never see till shaded from the light that bade them start into strange beauty, tis amid the strife of manhood that we view our scenes of early life. 49. He, Alfred, was loved by his father and mother, and even by all the people, above all his brothers. As he advanced through the years of infancy and youth, his form appeared more comely than that of his brothers. In look, in speech, in manners, he was more graceful than they. He was a zealous practiser of hunting in all its branches, and hunted with great assiduity and success. Asser's Life of Alfred Alfred the Great, two, Remembrances It could not be that he had trod in vain, a thoughtful child beneath the cloudless sky that overhangs with deep blue canopy Rome's glorious temples. They would rise again mid the dark forest or the marshy plain of his cold isle to fill those waking dreams that bless the careworn with their golden gleams. Fair memories of the things that give no pain. Those long, bright, summer hours of idleness, to which thou, world wayfarer, turnst thy gaze, have done for thee what thou nor I can guess. Think them not lost, those idle, wandering days. They are bright colours, mid that web of gloom that time is ever weaving for the tomb. 50. At the same time, the above-named Alfred, King of the West Saxons, with a few of his nobles, and certain soldiers and vassals, used to lead an unquiet life among the woodlands of the county of Somerset, in great tribulation, for he had none of the necessaries of life. Asser's Life of Alfred Alfred suffered much from sickness during the whole of his life. Alfred the Great 3. Adversity we wish those we love skies ever clear, Long summer days, and pathways strewed with flowers. Best lessons are not learned in such bright hours, The dark must teach them. Through the dimming tear, the spirit land looks beautiful and near. Such hours the soul does to itself reveal, And we the mystery of our being feel, And shapes of beauty from the gloom appear. No true and noble heart was ever reared amid soft things. It may be pain or want, or sorrow or the grave of those endeared, or that mysterious woe the soul can plant within itself. But sorrow there must be, ere it can struggle to the high and free. 51. The wife and children of Hastings twice fell into the hands of Alfred, the second time the king was urged to put them to death, to punish Hastings for his perfidy, but Alfred refused, loaded them with presents, and again sent them free to his fierce and persevering foe. Alfred the Great 4. Releasing the wife and children of Hastings the Northman Proudly she stood before him, but her eye was bent upon her children, and she pressed their hands with such a grasp that they repressed scarcely their tears, and turned to ask her why. But her fixed look of tearless agony took away words or motion, 
and those fears gave to the child what they refused the mother, tears. She gazed with pallid lip and eyelids dry. At last she looks on him, upon whose tongue hung death or freedom. On his chair was laid an antique book, and by its side was hung his harp and sword. Lady, be undismayed, he rose and said, be happy and be free, whoever thought that I could injure thee. 52. For three years Hastings had contended against Alfred, determined, if possible, to obtain a territory in England for himself and his roving band. But the ability of the Saxon king at last compelled him to withdraw. Some of his followers settled in East Anglia, some in Northumbria, and others escaping to their vessels crossed the ocean and sailed up the Seine. Hastings obtained a small territory from the French king. The Saxon Chronicle says, Thanks be to God, the army, the Danes, had not utterly broken down the English nation, but it had suffered much, and also from a mortality, both amongst men and cattle. Alfred the Great, 5. Romney Marsh, Kent. The fisher's boat rocks idly on the sea, the sheep are resting on the grassy hill, where village children wander at their will blithe as the singing birds, almost as free, and are these all the thoughtful man can see, where once intrepid Alfred and his band drove the fierce Northman from the Kentish strand. Fair is the scene, yet other things there be than meet the eye, and with this seeming good, how much of evil mingles, who may say? Rightly we shudder at those days of blood, but ignorance and crime still bar the way, and avarice hugs his bags of golden dust, and long repose brings idless and false trust. 53. Denewulf, or Denulf, the peasant who sheltered Alfred in his cottage when he was a fugitive amid the marshes of Athelney, was afterwards munificently rewarded by the king, who observing that Denulf was a man of talent, persuaded him to apply to letters. He became an ecclesiastic, and died Bishop of Winchester in 909. Denulf From a small lamp, a single thread of light, fell on the lettered page on which he bent a calm high forehead, and an eye intent. Thus had he sat for hours, nor marked their flight, but his mind wandered now, for silent night unrolled for him the records of the past and deeper thoughts came crowding thick and fast than the old Roman on his page could write. For none like memory writes for us, and none can read its record but ourselves. And he was thinking there, upon that bench of stone, of his rude home beneath the forest tree. He sighed, for who unmoved reviews the past, which yet he asks not back, nor wished when here to last. 54. Ethelfleda, or Ethelfled, as she is called in the Saxon Chronicle, was the eldest child of Alfred the Great. She was one of the most distinguished persons of her time, and greatly assisted her brother Edward by her courage and ability in repressing the Danes. After the death of her husband, to whom her father had committed the care of London after it had been rebuilt, 
it having been nearly destroyed by the Danes, she bore the title of the Lady of Mercia. Woman, one, Ethelfleda, the daughter of Alfred. Woman hath trodden every path of life, though to her nature strange. Priestess or queen, to whom men looked in reverence she hath been. Leader of armies in heroic strife, champion for truth when error hath been rife. All these and more she hath been, and may be, and out of these may work in harmony that deeper life of hers, the life unseen. And that true life, how doth it out of touch, and make or mar it? Tis a gift to all, a solemn gift, that equalises much that we think differing, and call great or small. What are the things that give thee inner might? These are the great, the rest are rust and blight. 55. Ethelfleda had been very carefully educated by her father, along with her brother Edward. Between the years 910 and 916, she built nine fortresses. The last she erected was one at Runcorn in Lancashire. She died in 918, having governed Mercia for eight years, and was buried within the east porch of St. Peter's Church at Gloucester. Woman, two. Ethelfleda. Working mid humble cares and petty strife, the routine of thine unheroic days. Things that deserve not aught of blame or praise, perhaps they seem, that make the daily life of thee as woman, mistress, mother, wife. So are they if we look at them alone, not at the reflex image by them thrown upon the soul, enlightened by their rays. Let but thy life be true, nor think it mean. Thy home is not the prison of thy soul. Beyond its narrow bounds fair things are seen, and circling it eternal oceans roll. Thine be the beauty that the earth still holds, and the divine that mortal life enfolds. 56. Ethelgiver was the third child of Alfred the Great. She became a nun. Another monastery was also built by the same king, Alfred, as a residence for nuns near the eastern gate of Shaftesbury, and his own daughter, Ethelgiva, was placed in it as abbess. With her many other noble ladies, bound by the rules of the monastic life, dwelt in that monastery. These two, the one for nuns at Shaftesbury, and the other for monks at Athelney, were enriched by the king with much land, as well as personal property. Asser's Life of Alfred Woman, three, Ethelgiver the nun. They had one home, they saw one mother's smile, one father blessed them with his deep strong heart, yet in the world their lives how far apart. One toiled and thought with men, a convent pile was Ethelgiver's narrow world meanwhile. Was it too narrow for the gaze it filled? and had the heart's loud beatings to be stilled with many an oft-repeated fruitless while. Her life is but a line upon the page of Ethelfleda's story, yet it may have left its impress on that distant age, for the true-hearted live not for their day, and words that pure lips breathe like winged seeds may spring in glorious thoughts or worthy deeds. End of part six.